Welcome to House of David Ministries. I'm Pastor Eric Michael Teitelman. Join me as we learn about the rich heritage of our Christian faith. In each episode, we explore a unique topic that will deepen your knowledge of Christ and who we are as His people. In this episode, we will learn about the foundation of God's throne and what this means in terms of our personal salvation in Christ. We read in Psalm 89, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Now reading this verse makes me feel like I'm standing in a court of law. We read in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. I remember the first time I read the New Testament and the words of Jesus pierced my heart. John chapter 8, he said, If you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Wow, die in my sins? Why couldn't God just forgive me? I mean, after all, he's a loving God, right? It just didn't make sense to me. In 2002, while we were living in New Hampshire, I came to a crucial decision point in my life. I'd been attending church somewhat regularly for about eight years, but I didn't believe, or should I say, I didn't yet understand anything about Christianity. I felt that Jesus was this great guy, but he was not my savior. I even believed that Jesus might have been a great rabbi, a sage, a wise man who went around performing miracles and healing people. Jesus reminded me of the Baal Shem Tov. He was a mystic Hasidic rabbi who lived in Ukraine in the 1700s. He was also known for healing people. But there was something very different about Jesus. Now, my parents raised me in a Jewish home, and I went to Hebrew school. But I realized I had been drawn to Jesus ever since I was a child. Even during my time living in Israel and attending a rabbinic school, I had this mysterious desire to travel to Bethlehem to watch the Christmas parade. In 1984, I moved from Israel back to California to live with my father. My parents had divorced in 1975, and for nine years, I had little to no contact with him. In moving back to the United States, I wanted to live out my dream of building a better family than my parents. It didn't take long to reacclimate into American culture, and while my interest in Jesus waned for a season, it never fully went away. It remained with me like a smoldering ember burning in my heart. I married my college sweetheart, we bought a small house, and I had two beautiful children, a boy and a girl. So the game of life was playing out perfectly. Well, almost. Some of my family members wanted me to become a doctor. My mother, on the other hand, wanted me to become a rabbi to continue the family heritage, and so I did neither. I became an engineer and later a pastor, although I'm often called rabbi. And little did I know at the time that God would have other plans for my life. For 12 years, we moved our small family all over the country, California, Oregon, Washington, Nevada, New Hampshire, and then back to California. And so while I was advancing in my engineering career, I was also looking for that special place I could call home, but nothing ever felt quite right. And so here was a Jewish man from Israel living in New Hampshire, working as a city engineer and attending a conservative Baptist church. 
This was about the time I reached my crucial decision point, and the answers I needed could only be found in one book, the New Testament. I wanted to know the truth about Christianity, because either Jesus was a mythical figure who the Gentiles worshipped as man-god, or maybe I was missing something. I was going to get to the bottom of things. I opened a King James Bible and began to read the words of Jesus. John chapter 8, If you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Who was this man that could make such a statement? I decided to read the end of the story, the book of Revelation. In chapter 19, I read, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Oh my, I gasped. Jesus is God. The Christians had it right after all. And suddenly I knew without any shadow of a doubt that Jesus was the Messiah. And he was God. But did he need to die for me? The prophet Isaiah spoke these words to Israel. In chapter 63, he said, Surely they are my people, children who will not lie. So he became their savior. The Lord affirmed in his word, Yes, Jesus became our savior. But in what way did he save us? We read in Isaiah chapter 9, Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, El Gibor in Hebrew, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Sar Shalom. Again, the Lord affirmed, yes, Jesus is this child that was born and given. But given for what, I asked. I continued reading in Isaiah chapter 53. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Oh, I see now this man, Jesus, was crucified for our sins, my sins. But Jesus was not just any ordinary man. I already knew from the book of Revelation that he was fully God, and now from Isaiah I could also see that he was fully human. So Jesus is both fully God and fully man, and he's also co-equal and co-eternal with his heavenly Father. So he is our God who appeared in the flesh, Emmanuel, which means God who dwells with us. And I fully understood that it was God born in the flesh who offered himself as a living sacrifice for my sins. And this made all the difference to me. God sacrificed himself, and on that glorious day in 2002, Yeshua became my Savior. But still, I had this question. Why couldn't God simply just forgive me? Well, the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, a man is justified, meaning he's made right before God, by faith, apart 
from the deeds of the law. And in Galatians chapter 3, we read, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith, and, emphasis added, not our own human efforts. Romans chapter 3, we read, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in Romans chapter 5, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace of our Heavenly Father, in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So let's now revisit our opening scripture verse, Psalm 89. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. In Hebrew, justice and righteousness have the same meaning, tzedakah, and are derived from the root tzedek. Tzedek means the fulfilling of duties towards others, particularly the duties imposed upon one on account of moral virtues, such as remedying the injuries of those that are injured. Justice precedes righteousness, and thus it appears from the order of God's wording that his courtroom justice precedes his remedy for our injustice. And God's remedy for our injustice establishes his righteousness, thereby enabling him to extend his mercy. So in other words, God's love is an outpouring of him remedying our injuries by taking upon himself the payment for our debt to sin. We read in John chapter 1, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law had to come first, not only to teach us what is sinful, but more importantly, that God's justice would be rendered through it. And it is the blood of Christ and his righteousness in fulfilling the law that has become the propitiation, which is the payment for our sin, so that now God's mercy, which in Hebrew is chesed, might go forth. In the words of our sages, justice is the declaration of God's will and our means of serving and approaching him. We read in 1 John chapter 4, it says, In this the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation, which is the payment for our sins. And in Leviticus chapter 17, we read, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Mercy, which is chesed in Hebrew, is God's love and benevolence towards us and translates as his kindness or his grace. The word denotes the unbounded loving kindness with which God created the worlds and with which all creation is permeated. We read in Psalm 89, Mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall establish in the very heavens. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David, Your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. In Judaism, the rabbis go on to explain that kindness was, in fact, the reason for the creation. Since God's nature is absolute benevolence and loving kindness, he created the world so that he would have someone upon whom he could bestow his kindness. And so we read, it is the nature of he who is good to do good. 
God's divine attributes parallel his human qualities and are therefore associated with the dispersion, godly light to all mankind, which was created a little lower than the angels. For this reason, we read in John chapter 1, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And Yeshua said in John chapter 14, He who has seen me has seen the Father. The Bible then goes on to tell us in Hebrews chapter 6 that he, Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. The better covenant was set up so that we, as we read in Romans chapter 3, would be justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God is merciful, but he is also a righteous and a just God. And so you see that justification is God's action of making us righteous in his sight. And not by us somehow becoming sinless or by earning our righteousness through good deeds or the works of the law, but by inheriting the righteousness of Christ, who is good and perfect because we believe that he died for our sins. So in other words, God could not pretend our sins never happened. He needed someone within his heavenly court to accept responsibility for them. And that someone is Jesus. Now, through the new covenant, it is the blood of Jesus, not that of an animal, that makes atonement for our souls. And when God makes atonement, he also justifies us, and he declares us to be righteous in his sight, for those who believe that Jesus is the Christ. We now have been freed from the court's punishment for sin, which is death. But God's justice does not stop here. He not only pays for our sins, he also makes us a new creation and gives us a new spirit, one that cannot sin. Yes, our flesh may continue to sin, but our new spirit cannot. For this reason, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Yes, we are sealed and preserved for the day of our final redemption. As we read in Romans chapter 5, Therefore, having been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace, which is to our Heavenly Father, in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And this hope of the glory of God is our marriage to Jesus. We are the bride of Christ, as we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And in celebration of this marriage, we read in Isaiah chapter 25, the Lord of hosts will one day make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the lees. Therefore, until that glorious day, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Amen.
If you have enjoyed this teaching from House of David Ministries, make sure you subscribe to our channel and don't forget to visit our website where you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. We pray the Lord richly bless you and we look forward to having you join us again for our next episode.